It's one of the reasons, another reason I like our method of going through the Word of God. See, I'm reliant upon what the Bible says about God's truth, about His Son, about salvation. I'm looking at the Word of God saying, Lord, what do you want to teach us? What does your Word say about truth and salvation and the the work of God in our lives and the work of the Holy Spirit, whatever the topic might be that we discover as we go through the Word of God. I realize that it's not my doctrine, it's God's doctrine, and I want to do my best to support it, to lift it up, that God would be glorified and not me. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast, and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. So today we're going to see a message I entitled, They Sought Jesus, verses 1 through 13, the question, Where is Jesus? Verses 14 through 20, again, another question, who is Jesus? And verses 21 through 24, we'll see the work of Jesus. And Father, we just pray that you bless the teaching of your word to our hearts. This day, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. And also, it's, it kind of goes on into the who is Jesus. So he's at the feast, verses 14 through 20. We'll read it for context. Verse 14, now in the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. And the Jews marveled, saying, how does this man know letters, having never studied? And Jesus answered them and said, my doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone wants to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak in my own authority. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Did not Moses give you the law, and yet none of you keeps the law? Why do you seek to kill me? And the people answered and said, You have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? So who is Jesus? It was the question of the hour. But we find that he taught in his father's house in verses 14 and 15, not at the beginning of the feast. Remember, this is a week long feast. So right there toward the middle of the feast. And we'll continue on this in two weeks when we come back to this chapter. He'll still be in this feast of tabernacles, seven days long. The final day is an eighth day, a a Sabbath day's rest. But Jesus teaching 
in the temple. In Mark 12, 37, it tells us that the common people heard him gladly. Isn't it interesting that even to this day, and I'm not saying that this is a set rule, but just regular folks love Jesus more than those who are higher educated. There are some believers who have some great education that love the Lord. We're thankful for them. Some of the great theologians that uh, pour over scripture and we are so grateful for them. But for the most part, the common folks, we love Jesus and the common people. They heard him gladly. But also Jesus spoke openly, not in secret. When they would put Jesus on trial in John 18, 20, they would ask about his doctrine. And Jesus responded and said, I spoke openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where the Jews always met. In secret, I have said nothing. You guys know I I spoke the truth. I did it publicly. Why are you asking me about my doctrine? You heard me. Ask the people who heard me. But also we find the people marveled at his ability to teach. And this was a problem that we looked at last week as well in John chapter 6. They knew Jesus. They knew he was from Nazareth. They knew Joseph. They knew Mary. They knew his brothers and sisters. They knew that he was a carpenter. They knew he didn't go to college, didn't go to the university. He had no uh, degrees, no letters after his name. They said, how does this man know letters, having never studied? They also knew that he spoke unlike anyone who had ever spoke before. After Jesus's death, I found this interesting. So they questioned Jesus while he was living. How does he know doctrine? He never studied. And yet they acknowledged that he had power in his words and the works. So it was the combination, a great one-two punch of the teaching of the word of God being backed up by the works of God, the signs, the miracles, But then after Jesus died, he was buried, he rose from the grave, he ascended into heaven. Soon his followers, the 11 that walked with him, the 12, we would say, they would be on trial. And we we get to Acts chapter 4, we find the religious leaders marveling at the disciples in a very similar way. Seeing them, the word tells us, seeing them as uneducated and untrained men, and then it says in Acts 4.13, until they realized that they had been with Jesus. The disciples, fishermen, we know six of them at least, were fishermen, a tax collector. These guys being uneducated, untrained men, but then they realize they've been with Jesus. There's no better education that we can have. And spending time with Jesus, hanging out in his word, learning from Jesus. That's why I like a little bit of the Calvary Chapel movement. There are some in the Calvary Chapel movement today of around 1,800 Calvary Chapels throughout the United States. Some of those pastors began pastoring their churches and have now become 
doctors. They don't make too much of a note of that, but they know that because of the doctorate, they're able to get into places to speak to people that they may not have had an opportunity to speak to without it. So they have sought those things. But some of the churches, the the pastor, all he did was sit under the teaching of another pastor, like our founding pastor, Pastor Chuck. And then they went out, study the word of God and go out and begin to teach the word of God. Being reliant upon the word of God, as Jesus was in verses 16 through 18, Jesus glorified his father when he said, my doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone wills to do his own will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it's from God or whether I speak on my own authority. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true and there is no unrighteousness in him. It should have been easy for the people to recognize, especially the religious rulers, to take what we would say the Old Testament scriptures and to know that Jesus spoke the truth and he spoke the truth from the word of God. It was supported by the written word of God, but they were blinded by their own desires. John fourteen ten and 11, it says, Do you not believe me that I... Am in the Father, and the Father in me, the words that I speak to you. I do not speak in my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the work. Believe me that I am in the Father, the Father is in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. That they should have been able to know his doctrine from the very word of God. You search the scriptures, for in them you think they have life. These are they that testify of me. But they were blinded. They knew the word of God, but it was intellect and it wasn't a heart knowledge. They were blinded to the truth of God's word. Moreover, Jesus came not to bring glory to himself, but glory to the father. As he said in John eight twenty eight through 30, when you lift up the son of man, then you will know that I am he, that I do nothing of myself, but as my father has taught me. I speak these things and he who sent me is with me and the father has not left me alone for I always do those things that please him. And he spoke these words. Many people believed in him. I always do those things that please him. It's one of the reasons another reason I like our method of going through the word of God. See, I'm reliant upon what the Bible says about God's truth, about his son, about salvation. When I sit down at the beginning of the week and start thinking about next Sunday's message, I'm not thinking about what twist I can put on the word of God. I'm looking at the word of God saying, Lord, what do you want to teach us? What does your word say about truth and salvation and the the work of God in our lives and the work of the Holy Spirit, whatever the topic might be that we discover as we go through the word of God. I realize that it's not my doctrine, it's God's doctrine, and I want to do my best to support it, to lift it up. That God would be glorified and not me. And Jesus revealed the hearts of the people in verses 19 through 20 here. 
And it will go on in verses 21 through 24 as well. But he begins and introduces it. Did not Moses give you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. He says, why do you seek to kill me? And the people said, you have a demon. Who seeks to kill you? We know that there would be this conflict. And we know that it will lead to his death very soon. But they had been given the law of Moses. And the law of Moses was to be a tutor, according to Galatians 3, 23 through 25. God gave them the law of Moses that it would be a tutor to point them to Christ, to bring us to Christ, to show our insufficiencies. And yet they tried to make perfection through the works of the law. And no one is proved righteous through the works of the law because we fail. We can't keep the works of the law. So there was this question about Jesus. Not only where is Jesus, but who is Jesus? Is he a good man? Is he the devil? C.S. Lewis, a, a great Christian author from times past, in his book, Mere Christianity, he has this paragraph. It says, I am trying here to prevent anyone from saying a really foolish thing that people often say about him about Jesus. And this is what he said people say. They still say it to this day. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I do not accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him. You can kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that option open to us. He did not intend to. And yet we find back then he is good. He is a demon. We find today he is good. He is a demon. But the question is, is he the son of God? Who is Jesus today? Is he a great moral teacher or is he a, the living son of God? Finally, verses 21 through 24, we find the work of Jesus Verse 21 through 24, Jesus answered and said, I did this one work and you all marveled. Moses therefore gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry with me because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath? Do not judge according to appearance, but judge according to righteousness. In the law of Moses, there were two conflicting laws. And they had a choice. They could keep the Sabbath law or they could keep the law of circumcision. Now, we know that women, you guys know better than the guys. Those of you who have had children can't really time the actual day of the birth unless it's some medical issue, to time it in such a way saying, look, 
I want to have this boy, if he's a boy, he needs to be circumcised on the eighth day, but we can't have the eighth day conflict with the Sabbath day, so we're going to have to work it out that, you know, that circumcision isn't on the Sabbath day. We, you can't call that. It just happens. And so it just happens that there would be circumcision. I, I looked up on Jewish websites this week, didn't find anything really definitive on it, but I was looking up the question of circumcision and the eighth day. Thing is, is that they circumcise on the eighth day only for medical reasons. If the child has something going on, will they set aside the need of circumcision on the eighth day? So health reasons, they'll choose not to circumcise. I did learn that it was the act of, in the circumcision, the cutting away of the flesh, they would draw blood and uh, put it on a cloth and show it to three witnesses. Well, the drawing of the blood is the work side of this circumcision. And they break the Sabbath law in doing this. And this is all that Jesus is pointing out. You guys do this all the time. You break the Sabbath law all the time when you circumcise on the Sabbath. And then he said, I did this one work. It's John chapter 5, verses 1 through 18, when he healed a man of an infirmity of 38 years by the pool of Bethesda. He said, I did this one work on the Sabbath, and you guys sought to kill me. And they confronted Jesus about this in John 5, 17. He said, my father's been working until now. He pointed out that God doesn't take the Sabbath off. Aren't you glad? Every, uh, it would be, by the way, Sabbath is a Saturday. It would be on Friday night, and God would say to the world, hope you guys make it till uh, dusk on Saturday night, because I'm, I'm off for 24 hours. You're on your own. Jesus pointed out, God's been working until now. And so I am working. But in John 5.18, it says, the Jews sought all the more to kill him, because he not only broke the Sabbath, but said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. And Jesus revealed the hypocrisy of the people who were strict to keep the Mosaic law through circumcision while breaking the Mosaic law through breaking the Sabbath. The law that he said wasn't really the law of Moses, it was given by your fathers because circumcision, it preceded the law of Moses. Circumcision goes all the way back to Genesis 17, verses 10 through 14, where God said to Abraham that the male child shall be circumcised on the eighth day. And it was at that time that Abraham circumcised, had himself circumcised, and all those who were in his house. So Jesus brings up this technicality of the law, where God has two commandments that conflict against one another. And in the case of keeping the Sabbath versus circumcision, circumcision always wins out. And so verses 23 through 24, he warns them that they judge according to appearance. Isn't that true to this day? Don't we do that even to this day? Don't politicians know that appearance is so important? It's not just for the guys who's running for office or the women who might be running for office. I was thinking specifically of guys who wear their suit and their tie. It's got to be the right color suit. It's got to be the right color tie. It's got to appeal to the American people. 
And you kind of have, you know, the red, white, and blue theme going on, attract its appearance. Got a little too much gray hair. We need to get rid of that. And I don't want to have my daughter-in-law. I did shave my goatee off. You guys notice that? It's been a while. But my daughter-in-law out in Hawaii, she two years ago looked at me and said, you know, you'd look a lot younger if you'd get rid of all that, that white beard on my face. I haven't got to the mustache yet. But if I was running for office, I probably would hear that. Need to get rid of the stash. It's not looking too good for you. Maybe we'll send you to a plastic surgeon and get some things shifted around and make you look a little better. Don't we look at appearance? They did then, we do to this day. But here was the appearance and the word of God being connected. A man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses shouldn't be broken and you're angry because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath. Don't judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. And Jesus continues to show the people their hypocrisy. He says, judge according to righteous judgment. Do what is right. In Mark 7, 9, Jesus would say, all too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your traditions. They were rejecting the truth of God's word that they might keep tradition. It trumped the healing of a man who was sick for 38 years. This should have been a miracle that should have been praised greatly. And yet they sought to kill Jesus as a result of it. In fact, in Luke 6, 7, it tells us the scribes and Pharisees in the Gospels contended with Jesus 10 times over works on the Sabbath. And so in Luke 6, 7, it says the scribes and Pharisees watched him closely whether he would heal on the Sabbath that they might find an accusation against him. They knew that if there was someone sick in a synagogue or in the temple on the Sabbath and Jesus was there, they figured it out. Jesus would heal them. So they watched him. And the Jews judged according to appearance, but not according to righteousness. See, Jesus did what was right, always did what was right. But to the Pharisees and the scribes, he would cry out in Matthew 23, 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin. You neglect the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done, paying the tithe of the spices without leaving the other undone. You know, the people marveled at the works of Jesus because these works proved that he is the Son of Man, but also, according to Luke 6, 5, he is the Lord of the Sabbath. So they sought Jesus, and we looked at verses 1 through 13, where is Jesus? And that question, where is Jesus in your life today? Has he found a home in your heart? Are you saved? Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Is he a, a great moral teacher? Is he a good man? Or is he who he said he was, the Son of the living God? And then also the marvelous works of Jesus, the works of Jesus, they prove that he is the son of God. You know, the people sought Jesus. Many of them sought Jesus. They lacked sincerity. They sought Jesus, as we learn in John chapter 5, they sought him because he was able to feed a group of 20,000 people. 
And they showed up the next day for breakfast. Their motives of their hearts were totally wrong. They sought Jesus to fulfill earthly desires instead of looking to those heavenly truths. And this is something that continues to this day. They marveled over this one work of the healing of the man on the Sabbath. And Jesus would go on to proclaim that greater works I will do because I go to my Father. Greater works. And the greatest work that Jesus did is there at Calvary, on the cross, where he died as a sacrifice for our sins, that we might be saved and come into a relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They sought Jesus. My question for you today is, why do you seek Jesus? Father, we thank you for your word and for the truths that we find in it this day. I pray, Lord, oh, work in our hearts. Lord, help us to not reason because of appearance, but Lord, that we would seek you and the truth of your word, that we would walk in fellowship with you. And most of all, Lord, that every person in this sanctuary would know you as Savior. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today. Thank you.